Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Pod. I'm your host, Tony Food, and this is episode 326. Sorry, 327. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Stacey. That is at Stacey Patton, Stacey Patton 89 on Twitter. Stacey, how are you doing on this Tuesday afternoon? Doing pretty well. Still uh, recovering from a weekend in Vegas, but other than that, can't complain. I guess not everything that happens in Vegas stays there. Oh, well, actually, yeah, because I got Christian McCaffrey at fourth in my draft, and I'm pretty proud of that, so... You guys always do your. Do you guys always do your draft? Was in Vegas? A, it was the first time. It was actually. Um, it was cool. We got like a cabana and like the board and everything. It was. Uh, it was pretty fun. Were there a lot of people doing it? There were a couple other groups who like mentioned it. It was funny because like when I told people, they were like, "Oh, are you going for a bachelor party?" And I was like, "No, I'm going for a fantasy football draft." And they just looked at me like, "Huh?" <laughs> you know. So yeah, yeah. But uh, it was fun. I would. Uh, I would recommend it for. I think I still. I've never been for March Madness. I think that would be even more fun, but uh, definitely fun times. Yeah, I'm sure that uh, you guys were well behaved during your. Oh, I, I got your boy too. I uh, I got Josh Allen. So. Nice. Uh, would you pick him like top of the second round or something? I got him in the third, actually. Cause I went. Um, it was a 12 team draft. I got McCaffrey, then Garrett Wilson, and then uh, on the snake, I got Josh Allen. So early third round. Good to hear. Good to hear that we'll uh, be having similar rooting interests this year. Uh, I did not go to Vegas last weekend, um, but I am still recovering from what I did last weekend, so that was great. Um, but What happens here, in Schwinn World does stay in Schwinn World. Yes, uh, but we're not here to discuss whatever debauchery me and you got up to over the weekend. We are here to talk about basketball, but before we do that, I have to make a few announcements. The first being that the Strickland... Has Instagram, check that out. That is at the Strict Online on Instagram. Post all kinds of new content on there. Strickland also has a YouTube channel where you may be watching this pod where you may be watching this podcast. If you are and you've not done so already, please hit like and then subscribe to the channel. That would be a huge help to us. The Strickland also has merchandise which is available on our website. You can go to that at www.thestrict.land. There's a link there to the merchandise store. There's all kinds of stuff there: t-shirts, sweatshirts, hats. Coffee mugs, even water bottles, you name it, we've got it. The Strickland also has a Patreon, which you can subscribe to. There are a number of different tiers. There's a six-star tier that gets you access to Pod Strickland's podcast that I host every Friday with Prez. You also get access to the Strickland Mailbag, hosted by Andrew Steele, a.k.a. Doug, a.k.a. The Doug Bag, alongside Dallas Miko that comes here every other week. You also get access to the Strickland Discord, where the conversation never stops. It certainly has not stopped during FIBA. There are further tiers. There is a $9 tier that gets you access to Strick and Roll, My Solo Powder. I rant and rave about the next even more. You also get access to wonderful premium articles by Matthew Miranda, one of the best in the business. There are further tiers. There's a $15 tier, $30 tier, $50 tier, and $100 tier. Those come with a variety of additional benefits like listening on our pod recordings, merchandise discounts, and even potentially co-hosting a podcast alongside yours truly one day. Whether you choose to subscribe or not, none of this would be possible without you. And none of this would be possible without Bet Online, which is your number one source for all your betting needs. Get the latest odds, lines, and match reports for baseball, boxing, golf, and more. BetOnline continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers, including live betting, 
and your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your phone. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and get in on the action. Remember to use promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. Um, and speaking of games that are starting, uh, did you happen to watch any of the uh, USA or Canada games over the last few days, Stacey? Watched a little bit of the RJ Canada game today, um, but um, but haven't watched as much beyond the highlights. So um, encouraging again to see RJ doing well. Um, I think he's um, you know Frank Barrett mentioned this on Twitter. Um, you know it, it seemed like there was a stretch in the third quarter when when he went away, but he still flashed some more of the cutting stuff. And 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 Frank Jeff, you know, <laughs> we can refer to them interchangeably. Um, the um, you know, a point he made is like it's tough sometimes to apportion blame for you know the stretches where RJ does seem to disappear. The fact that his role isn't what a lot of his proponents want, um, or you know his, um, his you know people who are really on the the RJ as a star bandwagon. A lot of the arguments are his role often you know keeps him out of the, the flow of the offense, and the blame kind of can both go both ways, right? Should the Knicks do more to prioritize, not just him, but more off-ball stuff so that, you know, you have more actions on one play and who the offense, quote-unquote, runs through doesn't matter as much. That's, to some extent, a team thing. And to some extent, it's an RJ thing because there's always ways to stay involved. Um, But it was just interesting, like, I think Benji clipped, you know, this cut he had into the lane, which set him up for a post-up. His shootings looked a lot better, Um, you know, and I think, I mean, at this point, I'm more focused on that because I know what Jalen Brunson is. Jalen Brunson's a star. Uh, I know what Josh, jo- what Josh Hart has been giving the states. You know, for people who still question his value, um, provided he's used in. I mean, I think last time we talked about the fact that, you know, him and Barrett had like a plus one net rating in the regular season. In the playoffs it was awful. And like, if you look at every other lineup, Harbots or Harbots, ah. It's a Freudian slip there. Um, Josh Harbaugh. Um, <laughs> if you look at every other lineup that <laughs> Josh Hart is in, um, he, he, if Harbaugh was a player, he probably would be like Josh Hart. Um, but it's a positive, right? Every other two-man grouping. So the point is, like, he's just – you're seeing that impact play out. Um, but I think RJ's is where it's, like, tentatively, like, the jump shot is looking better. Um, in Canada, he's, you know, in the Canadian system, he's still got some bad habits. You know, he can be a little disengaged in times. And I don't think that's an effort thing or anything. It's just sometimes it's difficult to know. Should I space? Should I cut? Uh, you know, getting, especially when you're playing, he's still playing next to a ball dominant player in Shake just Alexander. Um, but it's been encouraging. I, I've really liked all the Knicks that are played. And, and shout out another one who, who we haven't talked about much, Rokas Yokobaitis, who had a pretty good game today for Lithuania. Um, yeah, uh, I, like I've said, I, I'm not trying to take too much away from any of these games for any of them. Um, I think they're obviously more important for RJ than they are for Brunson or certainly for Josh Hart, who is going to just do Josh Hart stuff. Um, so it's been good to see him, you know, hit threes and, and be kind of like, I mean, he's basically been their second option. Um, the first game obviously was not so great, but then he's had a nice couple games since then. You would like him to make some free throws at some point. That would be nice. Um, but three-point shooting has been good. Uh, I think when I've seen him, I feel like on in general, it feels like he's making smarter decisions. I don't have the numbers. I'm not going to 
honestly, I'm not really that interested in in like trying to compile those numbers, but uh, he looks like he's making better decisions on drives. He seems a little bit more under control. I think he actually is now starting to move better than um, he was for long parts of last season. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's just good to see, obviously, him get these game reps in now. And, and honestly, it might be a good thing just in the sense of he's historically been a pretty slow starter every year of his career. Um, feels like the first month is always really hard on him, and then he usually picks it up around December. Uh, so maybe getting these game reps in now, we can avoid that. And uh, it has him coming into camp probably in, I mean, pretty much in optimal game shape at that point. Um, and that, that can only be a good thing for him and, and hopefully for the Knicks because this is a key this is a key season for him. I think it's a key season. I mean, it's a key every, every season to some degree is a key season for the Knicks. But um, for, for him very specifically, I, in a lot of ways, I feel like he is uh, the key to the Knicks season. Like I, I, I don't really, I don't even feel like that's that's very controversial. Um, you know, we don't need to always repeat this, but uh, I did think he was basically the worst player in the rotation last year, and um, I I suspect that if you gave him truth serum and you asked him if he was satisfied with his season, his performance over last season, you know, I, I don't think he he would have been. I'm sure he knows that and is aware that. And I, by the way, I don't think it's anything that anyone has ever questioned, right? I, I don't think anyone's ever questioned his commitment. Uh, and even today, after you know he had a really good performance, he was four for six from three. He missed four free throws in the second half, and he—that was the first thing he talked about. So that is something, you know, the, the work ethic, the kind of polish, the the fact that he was basically raised, you know, both by his father and, and by Steve Nash, and groomed to be this kind of like that is one of the things I think that Knicks really liked about him at three even if they were interested in a guy like Garland or something. So um, I don't think that's ever been a question. But yeah, you, you, know, you know that he probably wasn't satisfied with what happened last year. Either. Yeah, um, and, and I think that's, you know, uh, that's, kind of the, that's kind of why it's such a key season for him and, and why I think he is the key to the next season because the Knicks, you know, there's a perception of what they have done this summer and whatever and, and what their current talent is and what it's capable of. And um, I think a lot of that is tied to people are, you know, I'm not saying forget Knicks fans, but uh, I think the outside view of this team and specifically of RJ Barrett is like, he is a very inconsistent player and uh, his lack of shooting is a problem and, and all this type of stuff. And, and if those things are not problems this year, then it changes I think not just the ceiling for the team, but the floor of the team. I think it it has the potential to carry them to a level that I don't know if anybody really thinks that they could be like a 60-win team. But really, if you kind of look at the numbers, you would think like, yeah, if RJ just kind of like... I mean, if he can just be a solid three-point shooter, even I mean, with... Last year's uh, counting stats with league average true, true shooting and like better defense is just massive for the Knicks, right? Yeah, and, and I mean, look, they were basically on like a 56 or 57 win pace after the Josh Hart trade, and then even that's kind of like, probably sells it short in the sense of the last couple of games of the season, they basically punted, right? Uh, the New Orleans game and, and the the uh, the Pacers game where... Brunson missed quite a bit of time during that stretch, by the way, as well, so... Yeah, so I, I think the Knicks were pretty 
could and so did Randall, right? Randall missed yeah, the last Randall, few weeks of the season. So Randall missed the last five games. Um, so I, I think like this team is gonna go. I don't want to say they're gonna go as far as RJ Barrett will take them, but I do think he is very important in terms of raising the ceiling um, of what this team can be, could be, um, has the potential to be, whatever you want to phrase it. Yeah, I mean, it's he's an inflection point. I'll put it like that because if you also look at from a roster standpoint. The things we've often, I mean, you and I have talked about this a lot, but that rangy 6'9 wing, a Trey Murphy type, right? You know, the Knicks have not been able to, they tried that with Cam and it didn't work out, but that's clearly the kind of player that is on a lot of rosters that the Knicks don't have, or I should say a lot of winning rosters. Uh, I'm not saying those guys grew on trees and that's part of the difficulty here. Um, but the, um, so he is the closest thing the Knicks have to that. Right, a functional guy with plus length, um, athleticism, versatility, switchability, whatever. Uh, and then the other big weakness that's a little bit related is—I wouldn't call it a weakness—but they they don't have a true rotation level backup for. They have heart. I'm confident in that. But there's going to be matchups. There's going to be matchups where it's like, <coughs> um, if he guard like. Hart, I think, is a good enough rebounder and a good enough defender to survive there. But if they're playing, you know, the Sixers or something and Tobias Harris is in the game, he's giving him five inches there, right? That's where a guy pause. like RJ... What? Yeah. I said pause. Wow. <laughs> um, I know, I, I heard what you said, but my recording didn't pause. Um, I, I think that um, that's where, like... And those matchups give you that flexibility because if RJ is really, you know, functional there, then... Uh, there's there's two things, right? If if they do have to play against a a four is a little bit more dynamic, you probably like Hart a little bit better off ball. So if RJ can play on that guy, that's better. Um, and and also there there might be some. And I do think that what worries me when I think about some of the rotations is like I'd love to stagger Randall, but if we play Milwaukee and Milwaukee doesn't stagger Giannis, you can't you can't put Hart in on Giannis. Probably you can't put RJ on Giannis either. Those are some of the tougher things. But that aside, right? Most teams, that's not going to be the issue. Um, so at backup four, you know, as being able to play as the four with the second unit or where Randall's out, as well as giving them kind of a long rangey wing, um, that's another inflection point. And yeah, like I mean, they the, the, as much as the Knicks shooting gets derided, you know, Randall. If you weigh the attempts and the percentages together. He's like he like that's. I don't think Randall is the reason their spacing isn't great. Well, at least from a shooting perspective, to the extent he might be, it's probably from occupying space at the wrong time. But that's a separate <laughs> issue. But in terms of shooting, like he's a good shooter. Grimes always a really obviously a really good shooter. Brunson is obviously a really good shooter. You know, RJ being able to just be league average is going to open up so much more for those guys, uh, especially Brunson. I think. Um, so I don't think it's. Uh, I'd take it all to say he's kind of the inflection point. The one thing I really want to see, which, um, you know, it's tough to take it away from a FIBA game. He's got to get better on the glass, um, especially defensive glass. He has the capability to be pretty effective as a small ball four, um, but he's got to, um, you know, there were, there were multiple big instances, especially in that, um, I want to say game four, where he had breakdowns on the defensive glass, um, you know, there was a clip I think Benji showed today, and like it was about that thirty. We should talk about a thirty seventy ball quote, by the way, uh, about Josh Hart. But you know, 
Barrett's watching the rim, and Josh Hart is just scoots right by him and grabs it over a bigger player. And, and this was, sorry, this was when Josh Hart was on the Pelicans. But I think that that illuminates one. That illuminates what everyone who says RJ is the greatest player ever and we traded 17 draft picks for Josh Hart and Josh Hart is a waste of money. Like this is the, These are the things they don't get. Um, but, you know, that that is kind of more of what you'd want to see from, from RJ. We talked about RJ a lot, though. I want... I, I do want to bring this quote up. Did you hear the Steve Kerr quote about, or I think it was technically a Spolstra quote. If this was like, it was, Steve it was Kerr quoting Spolstra, Spolstra about Josh Hart. Yeah. Yeah. And he said, you know, one, I think it was a lot of good things. One criticism of Hart has been that like, he's not a good enough shooter to be a shooting guard, but like he kind of just plays whatever. And, and Steve Kerr says, I don't care what position he plays, he plays winner, which is a very Steve Kerr platitude, but I'll, I'll accept it because it's, it's in my guy's favor. And then the other thing he said was, yeah, I was talking about Eric Spolstra. Spolstra said, you know, there's a lot of guys who get 50-50 balls. Uh, and by the way, this is, especially from this coach, it's, we watched, we played that team. And Jimmy Butler is the epitome of that kind of guy who's going to get to those kind of plays. And all of all of these guys, especially some of the ones that were undrafted, they have that junkyard dog mentality. So for Spolster to say this, is pretty impactful. But he said, pretty important, he said a lot of guys get 50-50 balls. This guy gets 30-70 balls. So you know, even when he's at a disadvantage or a severe disadvantage, it doesn't matter. And um, and I, I still think that doesn't capture all of his, his impact. But... Um, but yeah, I thought that was a really cool quote, and and I think it was um, leave it to you know one of the smartest coaches in the NBA to succinctly give a pretty good description of a uh, part. Um, yeah, I think the the re- I don't know the rebounding thing with RJ has been even at FIBA, it's been the one thing I'm just like I don't know. It's really weird. It's like he doesn't sense the fifty fifty balls at all. Like he doesn't. There's one today where he just like. He wanted to go out and leak out and transition, but the ball is like loose. And I think Powell ended up having to knock it out because he couldn't get to it. Um, so like whatever, Latvia retained possession. But it's just one of those where you're looking at it and you're like, what? Like the play there is to get the ball. You get the ball, and then like that's more important. Securing possession is more important than leaking out in transition. Uh especially like like look, man, I, I don't know. Even if Dwight Powell gets the ball, I'm not sure he's gonna be throwing some sick outlet pass. Yeah, and I mean, well, it depends on all on the situation, right? It's that mental math, which I actually think Obi Toppin is really good at this, I think. I think people kind of were like, well, he's a cherry pick or whatever. I don't think his defensive rebounding was ever, like, the problem with him. But he was really smart about when to leak out. And I'm not, you know, I'm not saying, like, I'm not even questioning RJ's field, but that is a skill in itself, like, those kind of, when can I, when, when do I, and it's even beyond that, when do I need to box out? When should I like cl- claim some space and just go for the rebound? Right. Um, I think that, like, cause boxing out isn't the be all end all either. So I think those kind of elements to your point can, can be tricky or they seem to be a little bit tricky for RJ at this point. Yeah. Um, and look, even like Obi obviously had his bad moments with that too. So it's, it's part of kind of figuring that shit out, but like, I don't know. I mean, he he rebounded worse last year than I think he had previously, right? Is that the raw? I can look at. I didn't look at right numbers, but I think anecdotally, and again, it's the kind of thing where it's like it's a little annoying if he plays the three, but it's not some death knell. But like, if he if we are going to rely on those small ball lineups with him and Hart at the three and four, 
uh, or even Grimes at the three, um, probably more so if it's Grimes, then that's where, um, you know, that's where you'd really like to see him not just get rid of some of those issues, but actually be like a really impactful rebounder, which I think he has the physical ability to do. Yeah, so last year was his worst defensive rebounding year. Um, it was also his worst offensive rebounding year, but I mean, he's not a guy who's going to be like a monster offensive rebounder anyway, so I don't really care about that at all. Um, but like, honestly, I, I will say this. I do think, you know, Prez has talked about as a reporter that his steal and block percentage were also at career lows, and they've actually ticked down every single year, both categories. Um, the defensive rebound percentage was a career low last year. Uh, I don't remember what the exact splits are, but I think he had someone like 39 dunks the first half of the year, and then he had like seven the back half of the season. So I just wonder if like, I don't know. I I kind I don't want to like throw out an excuse for him, but I do wonder when you just see, you know, there was a stretch in December where he was like catching posters at the rim, you know? He's like just yamming on dudes. Uh, then he, he comes back from that finger injury, and he has that monster dunk on Scotty Barnes, and you're like, okay, he's... Still good to go. And then, I don't know what happened, but like the rest of the year, he just looked, for so much of it anyway, he just looked slow. He didn't look, you know, he's never been the most explosive guy, but even in transition, it felt like he couldn't get up like he we've seen him get up before. And um, I just have to wonder if like he's, he was carrying some kind of injury because it just seems so weird that you would all of a sudden, you know, just look so, so much less athletic in the middle of a season, especially given like the injury he had wasn't some lower body injury, right? It was a fucking his pinky or whatever it was. It was like his finger basically like came off his broke through the skin. His bone was showing, but like it wasn't anything that should affect his athleticism. Um, but then like, and it's not just the dunks, right? But it's also like I mentioned, the decrease in defensive rebounding, uh, the decreases in steals and locks. And it's like, you know, um, I don't know how. Uh, there's no way to know. Obviously, oh, he, he had less dunks last year than he had he's had ever in his career. He only finished 29 dunks, um, which is the lowest percentage that he's ever in terms of uh, makeup of his overall field goals. Uh, it's the lowest, you know, dunk share. I guess you want to if you want to call it that that he's ever had in his career. So, like, it is something to keep an eye on, and I do think the defensive rebounding. They're not obviously the same exact things, but I do wonder if some of that stuff, the defensive rebounding and those things are, you know, whatever was going on with them last year. Because, I mean, the the other alternative that we don't really want to consider, I don't want to consider, I'm sure you don't want to consider this, is like, is RJ some weird 22-year-old, 23-year-old, I guess now, who is like already in physical decline? And I mean, that doesn't really make any sense to me. So I'm just kind of assuming that he was carrying some type of injury that we were not told about that we didn't hear about um and that you know look again the defensive rebounding hasn't been great FIBA but I wouldn't say it's been atrocious or anything like that and I do think he's moving better and one thing I actually noticed today that I think is worth considering um look he has to be better defensively but I do think how little we switch is a problem for him in the sense of like, he's not great at getting over screens. So when you force him to have to fight over it, cause that's your coverage, uh, you're going to have, you're going to give up stuff because of that. And, and it's not his fault that we don't switch more. You know, 
they don't switch more because they don't have that flexibility to the same level with Brunson, right? Like Brunson cannot switch across multiple positions in the way that Grimes can or RJ can or hell, even Randall can. And uh, with Canada, he obviously, like, look, they're playing, I think they're one to three, the starting lineup is SGA, RJ, and Brooks. And so you have a lot more capacity to switch. And I do think that helps make his life easier defensively. And I do think he's actually been um, pretty solid. Not, I don't want to say great, but like he's been pretty solid defensively for Canada uh, from what I've seen. Yeah, and a lot of it, a lot of it is just kind of I don't know if it's focus or what, but just attention to detail, repetition, getting that down. Um, you know, it, in fairness, this this defensive scheme isn't easy on wing, right? You're often asked to overhelp and overpose out, uh, and you have to play a lot of judgment between a step here, to this way to drive. You know, personnel. It's not um, it's not easy by any means. If you're not getting untouches on offense, you can make it worse and. You know, rebounding, I, I, I think that, and, and rebounding is just its own thing where it can be a struggle, you know, kind of just, just that is that whole calibration and, and reps and understanding where's the ball going, what kind of position am I in, should I box out, should I crash, should I, um, you know, is the, the ball going to be a long, long rebound? Um, those are just things that hopefully he'll be able to work on and, and get better at. But, um, but you know, if again, like, even if not, like like you said, if he's just a league average three point shooter, that does so much for this team. You know? like they just if teams have to close out on him, um, it, it makes Brunson's life a lot easier. It makes Randall's life easier. Um, it makes RJ more viable and, and uh, versatile off the bench. He even flashed a couple of pull up threes. And, and if that is if that becomes a thing, I do think that would be the kind of development that I wouldn't be ashamed to not have bet on. If you want to say I told you so, fine, but that's not something I would have bet on on RJ because. Like volume, and I, he's not at volume yet, but he's hitting one or two of these, or he's taking one or two of these again, and um, and he, he looks pretty clean doing that. I mean, if that's something he can add, you know, pinch if he does have to orchestrate, you know, that's that's not a bad skill to have, and it, it could, you know, portend that eventually he will be able to do more than just orchestrate in a pinch. The the other. Um kind of uh, thing I noticed and he whipped out today at the end uh, was he pulled out a pull-up three that he took at the very end of the game. Um, you know, is he going to shoot it at a high enough percentage that it matters? No, but... Or, I, don't, I don't know. Sorry, I should say. Uh, but I maintain that I think it's incredibly important for him to have some respectability at that shot. Because it's it's he's just his shot creation is just too limited at times to kind of bullying his way into the paint. And to his credit, he can do it because he's just strong as hell. But like you want to have different options as a player to go to. And more importantly, like his bread and butter is getting downhill. It would be a lot easier to get downhill if teams have to respect your shooting off the dribble to some degree. And um again, like that takes time. That takes it takes making a bunch for teams to start really respecting it. But it has to start somewhere. And so, like, look, we saw him a couple years ago start pulling on these more, and it felt like he was maybe starting to 
to find a rhythm or range out there, and it ha- just has not happened. Last year was obviously I think it was his worst pull-up shooting year. He just stopped taking them, actually, at a certain point. Um, <clears throat> but to me, that's like within the course of a season, especially one early in his career, it's okay to just be like, well, this isn't working. I'm cutting this out. Fine. But for him to get to where we kind of hope and want him and maybe even need him to get to, um, that that shot has to be part of the repertoire that he's at least comfortable taking when teams are baiting him into it. Yeah. Uh, I think there's been times where people are like, run the offense through RJ, run the offense through RJ. And he, he gets that chance with the bench. And usually, they I mean, they're, they're smart teams. Their first initial sets are usually get him the ball in, um, you know, from one of the sides coming around a screen, a curl, a pistol action, um, or kind of, you know, give him a jab step, but on the side where he kind of has an angle uh, to the hoop. Where I feel like he struggled a lot more is when he has to create from the middle of the floor. This usually also only happens at the end of the shot clock, so in fairness to him, it's not the most advantageous situation. But he often has to settle for a pull-up because the defender's waiting back there, you know, Operating from the middle, you don't have the same angle, uh, especially if the defender is going to take away that part of the floor and you have to go around. Uh, it's going to be tough. Um, so it often has to sell for pull-ups, and that hasn't gone as well. So just being able to do that like, and be able to say that you can't just concede the pull-up to me, uh, is, you know, that's, that opens up the middle of the floor as an initiator for it, which is a pretty big deal. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um yeah, FIBA's cool. Uh, Yahoo did a, dropped a list today, um, which I think is funny. They dropped a list of the top executives in the NBA, or ordered a list of the top executives in the NBA. Uh, and this list was based on a variety of criteria, including whatever. It's supposed to be some type of like saber metrics try attempt at trying to grade front offices. Uh, but this is what the list they came up with. So, top 10 executives in the NBA. Number one, Danny H. Number two, Masai Ujiri. This is on Yahoo Sports, by the way. Uh, number two, Masai Ujiri. Number three, Brian Wright. Number four, James Jones. Number five, Kevin Pritchard. Number six, Pat Riley. Number seven, Troy Weaver. Number eight, Kobe Altman. Number nine, Brad Stevens. Number 10, Zach Kleiman. I got to say, I appreciate the attempt at creating some type of objective measure of ranking front office executives and front offices in general, I I could not get through the entire article. And uh, I also just thought a lot of this stuff was graded poorly because they're trying to make an objective ranking of something that is obviously very subjective. Um, and and their subjectivity was, uh, let's just say, suspect, to say the least. Uh, for example, uh, the Bulls, um, ran by uh, Arturis Karnasovas, they gave him... They did this thing where it was like they graded draft picks, free agents, and trades as, you know, home run, triple, double, single, strikeout walk, something like that, right? Those are the various grades you can get. Uh, they gave Arturis Karnasovas a double 
for picking Io Dusunmu 38th in 2021, and a single for picking Patrick Williams 4th overall in 2020. Leon Rose got a single for taking Emmanuel Quickly and Quentin Grimes, 25th in back-to-back drafts. They got a walk, a base on balls for Rokas Yokobaitis, and they got a strikeout for Obi Tapa and I bring this up to say, one, I don't really understand how Deuce could be graded as a fucking strikeout right now. Like, I can see it as a base on balls, but strikeout is extreme. They got a lock. They got a guy who locked down Donald Mitchell for five minutes in the uh, playoffs. Um, I know that understates it actually, but. No, that I mean, one the whole premise is look, it's a creative article, right? You know, they're having some fun. <laughs> yeah, like I genuinely mean this. I I do appreciate like the attempt at it. I just I thought the execution was fucking awful. And the, the premise, like the difference between first of all, like these are subjective terms, right? But right. I don't know that the difference between a home run and a like one base. Which is what slugging percentage captures, right? Um, and even in baseball, it's, it probably is a little bit of an oversimplification because a home run is a guaranteed run. A triple, you know, you have to. There's dependencies, but the difference between drafting LeBron and drafting like Brandon Ingram isn't one base, <laughs> you know, like mm. that. Like, so you need more degrees here. Um, I also don't know why a lateral or inconclusive, like. That's actually the funniest part of this. Lateral or inconclusive moves are a walk. No. Like, the whole point of a big part of Moneyball and Sabermetrics is that walks are good. They are not lateral moves. They're not inconclusive moves. You literally got a free base runner yeah, or nothing. Yeah, you're one step closer to scoring a run. Yeah, so the the walk should, like, the uh, you know, like, a trade where, like, it didn't, it didn't pan out, but it didn't cost you much, that to me is... Well, no, a trade that was legitimately positive without causing you much should be a walk. Um, I don't get how quickly and Grimes are not front-end rotation players, but Io is. Patrick Williams has missed most of the season. And Patrick Williams is the fourth overall pick. You yeah, cannot call not, that. That's another point. That's You're not, not a controlling single. for that. Yeah, right? Yeah, that, that's not a single. I'm sorry. Like, that's a bad pick right now. I'm not saying, and I like Patrick Williams. I still think he's got a shot to, like, get to a better place and more kind of like closer to what people were perceiving his upside as. But like in and of this moment, there's no way you can just be like, oh, well, he plays minutes, so therefore single. Like, no, like he was the fourth overall pick. And and look, if we're going to be real, like the Knicks probably got more value out of Obi than the Bulls have from Patrick Williams so far. And you're giving them a strikeout for that, mostly because I think it's like, well, they traded him, which, okay, fine, fair enough. But if so, then if they didn't trade him, does that automatically, like, that would have magically made the pick better or something? Like, I, I don't really understand that. And and if we're, and the other part of it is like, let's put the cards on the table. Like, where would Patrick Williams go in a redraft? You know, for, forget... Yeah, forget not forget redraft because there are so few people that are like, well, he's a big wing, and okay, how rank their careers to date so far? Rank the careers to date so far in that draft, and he's not in the top ten. He's not even sniffing it, to be honest. Like, th- like it's it's just not it's not there. So you can't give those things the same grade as like I mean, it, oh, even the Knicks. 
No, he was graded yeah. as a as a single, right? Right, as a no. single, and and Grimes a single, and I'm like, one guy's a starter, one guy was this, the runner up for six men of the year, should have won it, as far as I'm concerned. Um, like, what are we talking about here? The and these are picks, in, these are 25th picks, so those are picks, right? Generally speaking, if you just get a rotation guy there, you're happy. And the Knicks got two starting caliber players there who've contributed, in Quickly's case, two times in three years to two playoff or you know two playoff berths in three years. And in Grimes' case, you know one and one and two, and like they've been part of kind of turning around the uh, perpetual state of disarray that was the New York Knicks at one point. I'm not I'm not saying they're the biggest part of it, obviously. Uh, Jalen Brunson was who, by the way, Jalen Brunson triple, not a home run. Apparently, that signing. Um, but like, it's just it's a weird one to me. And and yeah, like, look, if you're not going to call the fucking Brunson signing a home run, I I don't really know what we're, where we're talking about. Like, that's as big of a home run as you you won't find a bigger home run signing in unrestricted free agency outside of like consensus superstar star switches teams or something, right? Like, yeah, okay, signing Kevin Durant, which didn't work out, by the way. Uh, but signing, Le- okay, signing LeBron James is bigger deal than signing Jalen Brunson, right? Fine, I'll give you that one. But, like, you're comparing a guy that was and has been forever seen as, like, no doubt about it, no-brainer, just hand him a max, and that's it. There's no negotiation, right? There's nothing that you're doing. You're not taking a risk. It's fucking LeBron James. Um like Jalen Brunson was not viewed as that. The Knicks offered him a bag, which apparently, I mean, at the time, let's forget what he is now. Like at the time, people were saying that was a crazy overpay for like really. That's a lot of money for Jalen Brunson. Like, so they took a risk there, um, and it's paid off quite handsomely for them. So like to me, and I don't know. To me, you just have to call that a home run because given the history the Knicks have had at the position. Uh, you know, like I, I think that has to weigh into it. So I don't know. I just thought this exercise was really weird, and I and I we need to talk about this top ten because this top ten is a fucking disaster. Like I don't even understand. Also, I wanted to point this out. So Leon Rose is twenty second. They only ranked twenty five because they left five guys out that like didn't hey, have enough. Called Nerlens Noel a strikeout as a free agent. Like, I'm gonna say so in twenty twenty one he was, but they said it for twenty twenty like. He was a valuable starting center on a. I mean, yeah, he started most of the season on a team that was a four seed. So yeah, I just want to say they only ranked twenty five GMs because I think five were the sample was too small. Like they only started last year or something or the year before that. Um, but I thought this was really funny too. Uh, so Leon Rose is twenty second, and then they have Jeff Weltman, who is the GM of the Orlando Magic at twenty one, and. Um, <laughs> They counted Jonathan Isaac as a single for them, and like, I'm sorry, no, like he hasn't. Does he play basketball anymore? Like, I mean, I haven't seen. I don't. I have not seen that man play basketball. In if God he wasn't willing to sacrifice for his beliefs, he would get the same shoe endorsements as LeBron. Oh wait, no, that's not him. That's um, <laughs> Enos Penis. <laughs> uh, yes, but Jonathan Isaac single. Here's these are singles, by the way. Okay. Wes Uwundu, 33rd pick, 2018, single. Chuma Okiki, 16th pick, 2019, single. Like, these guys are... Is Uwundu even, even if anything, like, if you wanted to give Cole Anthony a double, I would give you that, honestly. But yeah. but if you're doing apples to apples, 
Are we? Do we think Wes Windu and Chuma Kiki are as valuable as Quinn Bryant and Emmanuel Quickly? I like love Chuma as just a weird <laughs> prospect guy that like I'm like I still think he's sure, but that's an right. actualized right, right. That yeah, exactly. You cannot call that a single. That's a strikeout. They've gotten zero value from that pick. Wes Windu. Or if that's a single, then Quickly and Grimes are definitely yeah. double. Right? Well, is Wes Windu even in the NBA? I'm pretty sure he's not in the NBA anymore. Like that cannot be a single. Um, and I agree. Like, if you want to give, he's an American to... basketball player for the Stockton Kings of the NBA G League. So, but apparently, as valuable as Grimes and Quickly. Yeah, it's just that makes no sense to me. I don't really get that. And I agree with you. Like, if you want to say Cole Anthony is a double or whatever, that's fine. It just like I, I'll put it this way: if you wanted to tell me Cole Anthony should be viewed in the same level as Quickly and Grimes, I disagree with that. But I can like understand. That rationale, I could, I could. Yeah, it's not crazy or anything. It's, yeah, it's I, I, yeah, point. I could, I could understand it, right? But you can't put those guys then in the same bracket as like Jonathan fucking Isaac, who doesn't play basketball anymore, Wes Wundu, who's desperately trying to make it back into the NBA, and Chumo Kiki, who has quite literally done absolutely nothing in his career. Um, I don't know. This exercise was just very, very weird, and I, and I mean, and I guess, I mean, I they had, and it's just, it's weird, also, like. They have Caleb Houston as a strikeout. He was reasonably useful in, in yeah, leave it to it's, me. To like, also, it seems very early to like. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And yeah, done. maybe that's our bias sticking up. But I, I didn't actually like him at Michigan because he wasn't very good and the team underachieved. But and like. He re- he, and he's a rebound. He's soft. But like I mean, he, he should, yeah, he, yeah. But like, shot 34% from three, played 51 games. Like the weaknesses are with the, he's not a good finisher. He can't do much inside the arc, but he gives you that shooting. If it, like, how is he a strikeout? But a guy who's already out of the league in less than four years, he's a single, right? Um, and I so I, I it's Frank's just, a single. You heard it here first. And I, I don't also don't know. Like I don't think I think this is all. Yeah. So like, and the thing is, like, that's why you, what's dumb is that. Um, you know, they're trying to apply saber metrics. But the way they're evaluating players is basically this, right? Like, the the, methodol- the methodology to kind of do the overall evaluation is maybe using that analogy. But there isn't a lot of full analytical rigor in how they're saying this, right? So, uh, I don't know. I mean, look, you got Pat Riley at sixth, and he assembled the big three. Like, I think you're, you're probably a little bit flawed if he's behind, you know, uh, if Pat Riley's behind Kevin Pritchard or um, or even James Jones, like or, or yeah, or, or like what is uh, Brian, Brian Wright? Brian Wright is yeah. the successor to RC Buford. He he's the third best. He has no home runs. So okay, honestly, that's probably the biggest flaw. If you can have no home runs or triples, um, he, and he has one double. His only double is Devin Vassell. So you have no home runs or triples. Like that, and that kind of sorry. Like I get it. You and I are both proponents of kind of hit a lot of hit singles. We use this analogy a lot, but like, don't kind of sacrifice your leverage and all that. And I get that. Maybe that speaks to his ability to avoid strikeouts. He only has two. Yes, but he still has three strikeouts. One of it's a trade of Derek White. The other two were primo, which obviously that was kind of a weird. Situation. I mean, why is Blake Wesley not a strikeout when Caleb Houston was a strikeout? Like, what yeah. is the rationale for that? What the uh, fuck because is Blake he likes because whoever wrote this likes that person, <laughs> right? Um, I mean, and Angel at number one, like Angel, like yeah, Angel O'Reilly just 
does it make sense? Like, Pat Riley has won however many rings. Was it four rings he's won as the GM? Three. Um, well, he won two with the big three and one with Wade. That, you're right, yeah. Um, and not, so, we don't need to give Miami more uh, no, but more I, hardware I mean, than they have. Like, with R.C. Buford gone, I don't know how there's an argument for anyone else. Like, that, and let alone being sixth. Like, if he's sixth, then your methodology's really flawed. That, based yeah, on the yeah. big three alone, let alone, like, all the success they've had with all these undrafted players and, and the continuity in it. And, you know, things like pulling Jimmy Butler in for way less than he should have had to pay. Like. Yeah, I just have a, I have a tough time being like, uh, you know, oh, okay. Um, for example, like, I don't really... Okay, so he's calling, like, these trades, right? He's calling the Rudy Gobert trade a home run. He's calling, uh, you know, and I, I get that. Like, I, I understand it. Can we wait? Can And I just feel like it, it is giving too much credit for tearing a team down. I don't know. I, I Angel 1 to me is just ridiculous. Like, the guy who's not... He also, like... The, the yeah. author makes the point early in the article that not all home runs are created equal. So here's a good example. Pat Riley got a home run for drafting Dwayne Wade. Age got a home run for trading for trading Rigo Bear. That's the that's the biggest flaw in this act. Like those should not be weighted equally, to your point, right? Like he got Dwayne Wade and he became Dwayne Wade. We still have no idea what the the picks and everything is going to turn into from the Gobert trade. You, know? you can't really weigh them equally. Yeah, um, and I just you know I think the other part too with 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 Ainge is like I, I mean I understand he's not totally capturing he's trying to like remove emotion from it but like he was not a good GM for like the last two or three years he was in Boston he was he was not you know like they do the Kyrie trade the Kyrie trade blew up in his face and they got nothing for Kyrie Kyrie ends up walking right being in free agency. Um, I I don't I think that's a flat out strikeout like not a major one right it's not like the game's over no but it was a strikeout and I think he calls that a single and I just don't understand that because their best season with Kyrie on the roster came when Kyrie was not playing basketball like he was hurt and they made the conference finals right they lose to LeBron and the Cavs in seven games the next year they flame out in the second round in pretty embarrassing fashion and then Kyrie bounces leaves town um i don't really understand how that's not a, a strikeout and and then you have like the well, fact the cost that wasn't that bad right but they get the eighth pick they get the eighth pick they gave up crowder who was like a good role player for them i mean i'm not saying it's i agree that i that's why i said i don't the, the game's not over it's not like they struck out and well that's it season's up no it it but it is a strikeout like you can still strike out in the first inning doesn't matter doesn't mean that like it, it still counts like it still counts as a strikeout um, and then like, you know, he does the, the Kemba thing and, and Kemba is like, you know, he's absolutely washed by like the end of his, by midway through his second season there. And and to me, like, I don't know, you're calling that, what did he call that one? Uh, he has that, okay. He does have that as a strikeout, but like, it's, it just, there's a lot of these in the last few years. There's like Cantor, Struce. Let's Struce go for basically nothing, right? Struce leaves and becomes a solid rotation player for the Heat, who have beaten the Celtics, what, two times in the Eastern Conference Finals in the last four years. Um, I don't know. To me, this is just a strange 
And I mean, I think I think it, it you're painting with too broad. A, I think we were painting too broad a brush on both the strikeouts and the home runs, right? There are strikeouts that are like the Eddie Curry trade, and then there are strikeouts like the Nick Sign or Kemba or Kemba, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then there are like there are home runs like drafting Dwayne Wade, and then there are home runs like he has is Rajon Rondo at twenty first a home run? Yeah, although it's ironic now that the justification for that is probably well he went twenty first. Well, you don't apply that everywhere, right? You're not controlling for that everywhere. Um, I don't know if Memphis is GM on it here, but I'd be curious to see what he gave Bain. But anyway, like Rajon Rondo, or even even he got a home run for Tatum. Like you can't say that's more impactful than Wade yet. Um, so it's I, not I, even close. It's it's no. You can you can hundred <laughs> percent say it's not as impactful as Wade. Wade was the best player in a championship team, and like and it was not like it was like. He he was Shaq was on that team and everybody knew that year like Wade was way better, way more valuable. Um and he that like if you look at his numbers in that run, like it's a historic right, it's a historic type of playoff run he has. And he was look, Dwayne Wade probably wins an MVP at some point in his career if LeBron James isn't alive at the same time. Uh and I, I take the point that obviously like look, MVPs are hard to win. You so kind he's of have the to Andy be. Roddick of, of the NBA. It could be, but like you know, I I take the point. Like, yeah, you, well, that's kind of why winning an MVP is hard. Blah blah. blah fine, but like, he he's come a lot fucking closer than Jason fucking Tatum has so far in his career. Um, so like, yeah, you can't no like drafting Dwayne Wade is you know that's like that's a franchise altering pick. And yeah, sure, Jason Tatum can alter your franchise, but he's not he's not in the same fucking conversation right now as Dwayne Wade. Like, absolutely not. Give me a break. Yeah, and it's like. I mean, and I'm not even just saying this as a Knicks fan, but yeah, like not all strikeouts are the same either, right? Like if you draft, you know, drafting Anthony Bennett, I'm sure was a strikeout. Or I don't know if he had who was it Kobe Altman at the time? It was no, no, no. That was that was David Griffin. Pretty sure that was Griffin. That's right. So I'm sure. Or he no, has, no, it was. I think it was Chris Grant or something. But Griffin is like. He said on the record before that he was like on board with the pick. So I like to just give that to Griffin just because, you know, fuck him. Yeah. And it's weird. Like he, um, so for Presti, um, like quickly counts as a strikeout for Presti because they traded that pick to us. Um, I like, but is it really quickly or was it just the 25th pick? You know, that's another thing. Um, and he, like they, some of the strikeouts are just like really late picks. Like, um, for Presti, he has a million second round picks. So, like him picking Jeremiah Robinson Earl in the at thirty second in twenty twenty one is considered a strikeout. But that's not like okay. That like technically trouble. This is this is like you know putting a towel on and and complaining about how the Trevor Keel situation didn't work out. Fine, it's a strikeout, but not all. Stri- and like I think this is the biggest problem with this exercise is. The idea behind this is this would probably in, in baseball it makes sense, right? It's like as long as like total bases matter, right? As long as you keep getting guys guys on base, you keep getting hits, um, and you like obviously the the more bases you get, the more hits that matter. That's all that matters in the long run, right? Because you play 162 games, uh, you know you have more of these normally distributed outcomes. But in terms of player eval, the most important things for a GM, I don't think this is super controversial, is not compromising your flexibility which means that not all strikeouts are the same. Some strikeouts that actually tie you up or 
have severe long-term ramifications are more than a strikeout. That is that is losing the game, right? That is like giving up two grand slams in a row um, because you, you you didn't put in the right relief pitcher or whatever. Uh, and then the same thing goes to the home run, right? Like you can hit a home run. Bradley Beal at third should be a home run. But tying yourself to him as your star isn't the same thing as tying yourself. I mean, you have Dwayne Wade rated the same. So, um, you know, I think that that's why, like, fundamentally this exercise in this way doesn't work because it doesn't account for the fact that the NBA is what's often called a fat tail distribution, right? The worst outcomes are significantly much worse than kind of just bad outcomes, more so than you'd think of, like, more of a normal distribution. And vice versa on, on the other end, right? The best outcomes are that much more impactful than just good outcomes. And I think that's what this one fundamentally misses. So what Rose deserves is, like, for the strikeouts they've had, they ha- nothing has been, let's not even say catastrophic, but severely um, limiting. Nothing has actually limited them much. And Chillin' um, <laughs> Brunson's sends a triple somehow. Um, you know, the, they've, made a lot of, they've made a lot of singles and, and positive moves that, um, you know, I don't, also, I didn't even realize we got Mohamed Bouye. Yeah, I don't even know. I, th- I ignored that because I was like, I have no idea who that is. I mean, I don't even think I've heard Prez talk about this person. So, uh, There's well, no he way plays that. for the Hawks now, so I don't know. Did we trade him or what? But apparently that's a single, um, even though he hasn't played a game in the NBA. And um, definitely not for the Knicks. Yeah, I think that's just a mistake. He was selected by the Hornets and it traded to the Celtics and then the Hawks. Um, but also, I don't think the Rose trade was a single, but that's fine. But, um, you know, it's just um, what you could, if you just look at this list, you can see none of their strikeouts were catastrophic. Uh, I, well, here, here's actually the funniest thing. I'm well, even the Jericho Sims one, I, that's not a trade. Like, they traded to get the pick, yeah. but they got that's that pick at the trade deadline. It wasn't at the draft. Um, he was a 58th pick, which they got from Philly because they traded them Austin Rivers. Uh, this also funny that Nerlens Noel is rated as a strikeout for tr- being traded away, as well as a sign up strikeout in free agency. It's like, so which one is it, right? I get it that you know if he's a salary dump, then that's. But like, which is it though, right? He's you shouldn't have signed him. You also shouldn't have. Um, is it Uchi Wally or is it one Mike? <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I mean, uh, look, the, I, I just think, one, I would suggest that it probably isn't worth it to do for a GM within his first three years based on this kind of, like, just looking at it. I, I feel like the sample is not big enough and there's too much variability and whatever, but, like, yeah, to me, it, it's just all over the place, this one. And, and I get it, like, you're doing, I do 25 different teams you ended up doing. It's probably hard to keep track of everything. I mean, shit, we know. And some of these things are like, it's hard to know how you should put, like, what is the technical criteria for something? You know what I mean? Um, You know, like, oh, well, quickly could technically that's a trade, right? Or is it a draft or whatever the fuck it is? It's, 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 I I get all that. But yeah, I mean, like, these results end up just being so wonky. And like, I just got to say, like, ah. I mean, I, I don't, I guess I just, what I struggle with is like, I'm not actually sure what this is trying to capture. Because if you want to tell me Masai has some amazing legacy as a great GM, sure, fine, whatever. But you cannot tell me that based on current performance, 
he's the second best GM in the league. It's absolutely not. And I, and you know that's that is I think the hardest part of this exercise the way he's drawn it up is like okay getting right so signing Fred Van Vliet as an unrestricted free agent and retaining him for multiple contracts and getting all the value you did for him as a player yeah those are all great moves that's a great sequence of moves by Masai Ujiri right okay but letting him walk in free agency is a catastrophe for nothing for nothing like you just let it and that's not part of this equation anywhere it's no yeah, one right it's another good point Sam Presti gets a home run for drafting Durant Obviously, but shouldn't it like you give credit to them to for signing free agents? You lost Durant for nothing. That should be sorry. Like I, yeah, I, and 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 I will like always defend. Like to me, I like shitting on Presti as much as anybody. But like you can't criticize him for not trading Durant because it's like when you have a player of that caliber, like you're just gonna keep them. Sure, and, and same with uh, the Cavs and the Bronx. Yeah, like, I'll never criticize those teams for that, especially because neither of those players, I mean, more than that, right, neither of those players explicitly said, get me out of here, right? We can sit here and be like, well, the Mister, signs were... Mister, get me out of here. Right. Um, but it's like, like, we could say, like, oh, well, the signs were all there. Okay, but in that moment, you, nobody knew for sure. And when you have a player that good, especially in those markets, like, you're going to roll the dice because you don't know yeah. when you're going to get that type of talent again. But, um, but if you're also going to criticize, let's say, a super agent who becomes GM right. or president, and you're going to say you need to hire basketball guys, well, one reason why you might hire an agent is he might be able to better at closing the deal. He might be better at closing than a guy like Sam Presti, who has all the analytical knowledge, but maybe can't get in a room uh, with KD and, and Ari Gold his way to to keeping him there, even if KD's you know has good options. You know, like that should maybe it shouldn't. Like destroy him, but I think that should be a strikeout. If 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 making a bad pick at thirty two is a strikeout, then not being able to close your franchise player after you went to the Western Conference Finals should be too. Yeah, no, and I I agree with you. What I'm just saying, like I think you would, they should be counted in the resume, and they should be counted as some type of fuck up, whatever the fuck, however you want to you know levy that. But like I would just me personally, like while that'll count against you in the ledger, I'm. I'm always going to be like, okay, I get it. It's fine. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, even Riley, right? You can say, like, LeBron left. LeBron left. Um, that's That should count against him to some degree, even though he did. I mean, it's bigger to have landed LeBron in the first place than to never have It is better to have LeBron and lost then, than never to have LeBron at all. Yes. I, I was trying to find the... Uh, <laughs> the way to put that, so thank you. Uh, but like, yeah, I mean, it, it just—it's just weird to me, like that we're ignoring. And it also the one thing, and I'm—I know I think I'm a lot bigger on this than you are, but like, you can't grade every GM the same because at various points in your franchise's kind of like arc, um, different things are going to be are are more important, different things need to be prioritized, there's more or less pressure to get things right at different times. Um, like, I count, you know, I, I, I'll put it this way, I think Presti should get hammered a lot more than he does for, like... There aren't a lot of good bars in Oklahoma City. So. 
<laughs> but like even after they lose Harden, after the Harden trade, I always felt like he never did a particularly good job of putting the right type of surrounding talent around KD and Russ, right? Like they never had good shooting, right? They always double down on like athletes and size and all this type of stuff. And those can be good educated bets, but like he didn't get it done. And because he didn't get it done, you have to imagine part of that is the reason why Durant left, right? It was like, well, we're not getting over the top. That has to count against you. That has to count against you when you don't get it done in automatic contention windows. Like, personally, I think it's ridiculous that Leon Rose is ranked beneath um, fucking the big failure in Brooklyn. Um, why can't I think of his name right now? Jesus. Sean Marks. You can't, you can't find your mark. Yeah, Sean Marks. Like, like Sean Marks, he gets a triple for Jared Allen. You traded him in the Harden trade, and that was a fucking disaster. They count the Harden trade for him is two times a strikeout. Kevin Durant, they give that signing a home run. You can't give that signing a home run because you traded him, which you want to give the trade a home run for like what you ended up getting him? I'm fine with that. But you can't get a home run for signing him when you achieved fuck all with that team. Absolutely nothing. Uh, Kyrie Irving, triple. No, no, no. Kyrie Irving, like, literally was like a fucking sleeper cell destroying the organization from within from the moment he signed there. Like, how is that? That's a triple? Like, okay, I'm going to start calling, like, Joe Kim Noah, triple. Great signing by uh, Phil Jackson. Uh, and then you get, like, you know, Joe Harris is a double. They just salary dumped the guy, and he was awful for them in the playoffs the entire time. So, what about, like, I just, to me, it feels like there's, like the criteria for different teams and different executives is not the same. Um, like, and some of these things are calling strikeouts, right? Like, oh, it's Jeremy Lin signing in 2016 was a strikeout. All right, like, let's relax. Let's calm down. Like, I don't think that fundamentally destroyed them or something like that. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I, apparently, I, I think it's it's a creative and fun article. I don't want to like shit on the author too much. We were all going to even said his name. We've been good about that. Uh, but Nick Claxton uh, like was Nick Claxton making... was a double, by the way. Nick Claxton double. Uh, apparently, Quentin Grimes, Manuel quickly don't have that uh, the same uh, gas. I that I think I think you, they should all be doubles. But Claxton's a good thing. I also he's I a good player, been, like, but he can't be a, a level above. I think it, Mitch should be a, a double too. By the and I so I think that but, the mistakes the mistakes are I think shoehorning like this kind of very boxed if you will, range of outcomes for for something that, that is more nuanced. And the author admit that, admitted that at the beginning. And the other thing is, like, I think that... And he also does, it in the beginning, openly say, like, I would like to hear your feedback. So it does yeah. seem like he's trying to, like, work through... And there's this and the, the snark and, like, so, like, it's... It, 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 you know, it's always good to... But I do think the framework is fundamentally flawed and... Um, and I think the other part of it is I just think with especially a lot of I don't think it weighs opportunity cost well enough at all, right? Like Jalen Brunson for like this is why like Charles Barkley and I'm quoting Charles Barkley, so I maybe maybe I'm in the wrong here, but Charles Barkley said like Jalen Brunson might be the greatest free agent signing of all time. A little bit of hyperbole, but the point was that you got him for the impact he's having usually cost you know a max. Right to get that for almost half, really, of, of what a lot of other players are getting paid to do that, like that that has to be a home run. By the same token, the Nets sacrificing all of their leverage to sign KD and Kyrie, and I'm not even going to go as far as you as saying like 
those were strikeouts, maybe, because they did contribute when they're on the court. But like that does that should factor in that um, you know that the opportunity cost has to factor in that the same way that picking someone who doesn't work out at the thirty second pick when like most picks at that pick don't work out shouldn't necessarily be a strikeout, um, or picking someone at twenty fifth who maybe is maybe is Grimes that much better than a single like on like in the whole grand scheme of things maybe not, but you're also not um, but he was picked twenty fifth. Um, so I think those are kind of where the article fills, but it's an interesting framework. It'd be interesting to look at, you know, advanced stats or other, you know, other ways to kind of weigh GM performance. I haven't seen people do quantitative rigorous analysis, so I'll definitely give the author credit for, for effort. And, and I actually mean that sincerely. I think they, they took this seriously. I just think there were some fundamental flaws there. Yeah. Any list? I agree. I think he tried very hard. I mean, it's, it's like actually a very lengthy thing. It, it it's not. You know, it's not just a list. It it goes through everything. It's it's very long. Um, but yeah, I mean, I look. Obi Altman being eighth is really funny to me. Um, I don't know. I think calling the Don Mitchell trade a home run is funny for a variety of reasons <laughs> that I personally enjoy. Uh, it's also wait. So oh no, he didn't call the Don Mitchell trade a home run for Utah. I don't think. So I was going to say like it was a home run for both teams. Yeah, I mean, I guess you can you can claim. I mean, there are win win trades, but a yeah. home run and a home run for both seems a little bit. You know, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just want to make sure. I don't think he called. No, he didn't call the Donovan Mitchell trade a home run, which is surprising. I don't know. Did he like forget about it or something? Because I don't even think he ranked it. Um, which I don't know. I mean, I feel like it should be ranked. Uh, it was it called a, a walk, a base on balls? Which I mean, they got fucking Lori Market in that trade. It was all NBA. And yeah, so I don't know. Anyway, um, it's a fun list. I mean, it, it's a it's an interesting exercise. that you think it's like cool to look at? Um, and I was more excited about it as I initially started reading the article, and then I was like, I don't like where this is headed. Um, not sure that I agree with this ranking. Um. So anyway, um. Do you? What the hell do you want to talk about? Um. Yeah, I mean, I think we we went into that article in depth. Um. Oh, actually, we can talk about this. Uh, e. Strickland released the um a dollar ranking of the Knicks' dark times. Um, and I think I saw your roster. Uh, I forgot exactly who was on it. Um, curious to your thoughts on that and, and how you decided amongst for, for those who haven't seen it, it's like one of those $5, $4, $3, $2, $1, um, build your best lineup things. Um, it's a fun exercise, some interesting players on there. Uh, Schwinn, curious to how you kind of came up with your list. Uh, well, so like we only had one, we had one $7 guy that was mellow. Um, I was not going to pick a seven dollar guy. I just think it's really, really hard to make any roster that makes sense around him. Would you uh, pick Hakeem one for seven dollars? Maybe, uh, but then I, I, I have Porzingis at the five. I've this is kind of like cheating too because Koq, like you know, Kylo Quinn is listed as a four, but he's totally a five. So like yeah. I kind of got and like, but like whatever, Porzingis was listed as a five, but he's really a four with the Knicks. 
whatever. I got both of them, and then I have uh, Marcus Morris Mook as my uh, three. I got him for five dollars, which was worth. If I it. told you you can't trade him for Emmanuel quickly, would he still be worth five dollars? No, he would not. I think that that honestly, it helps him so much that he got traded at the perfect time. <laughs> he got traded forty-seven percent from three. Yeah, he's traded for like he's shooting like ninety percent from three. Uh, he like he got traded right when we everybody was like, "Are we are we for real?" Like, yeah, we're not gonna fucking trade this guy in this season that is basically out of nowhere. Uh, and it it was perfect, right? Steve Mills gets fired, and then Scott Perry trades him for a first and a couple seconds, and obviously the Knicks that was ends up being a great trade for the Knicks. But yeah, I, he I mean he was really good in New York. Like he was awesome here. What he, again, he shot like what did you say? It's like forty. It was something crazy. What he shooting forty-seven years? Yeah, and that was so. good. And this was not a COVID year. This is not like nobody's in the stands. This was like as it was happening. I was just like, and this? it was with like Randall farting around. So <laughs> Morris was really the only reliable player, uh, and he's legitimately reliable. I mean, he's a bit of a black hole, but he's very efficient that year. And he also started his career as a Nick in preseason by poking the ball on Justin Anderson's head. <laughs> In one of my favorite gifts to use, so nothing that wrong. That was actually that was really satisfying. Um, I think all the young guys at that time, anyway, they talked about like he was, you know, he's a really good pro. I think he like works hard, comes in the gym early. Uh, I think Mike Miller even referenced him as like, oh, like he really sets a good example with how he prepares and how he takes care of himself and all that type of stuff. So anyway, he was really good in New York, like to level. I mean, he hit the game winner against the Mavericks at the Garden. Uh, in Porzingis' first game back, which was awesome. Yeah, he just Much had better. a lot. Yeah, he just had like a lot of like really for a guy that played whatever like probably like fifty games to Nick, like very memorable fifty games. He had a crazy game in like what was it? I think in like against the Clippers. I think he had like forty something, and it was just nuts. yeah. That's why they traded for. Him. Yeah, it was just like it, it was ridiculous. It was the was last doing. game he played where he played well when the Clippers were on the court. <laughs> So yeah, I went with him, and then I I picked Galloway at point, and then I had to pick a shooting guard. So I I just and I had one dollar, so I picked Shred. But like, I would have liked. Thing is, like, this is the hard part of this is like we had so many bad players. Like, well, it's like picking... a lot of teams. If you think about it, like this is like a six seven year period. Most teams, it's, if you take yeah. their six seven year period, they would assemble like a fucking stacked team, and like. Ours, I, I don't even think yours makes the play in. Maybe it does. Maybe it makes play in. But yeah, it's pretty brutal. I mean, Frank is three dollars. Yeah, it's. It would be pretty hard to get like. Okay, so I can I can reveal this now on the podcast. The reason we made Frank three dollars instead of one dollar is because everybody would have picked Frank, and so we were like, well, let's just make Frank $3 so that it's hard. Like, even if so, even if you want him on the team, you actually have to, like, take the money from another position, right? Like, if you... Anybody that's $1, you're not actually taking money out from your total pot, if you think about it. Like, that's that's the minimum... It's a cap hold, right? That's what it is. It's a fucking cap hold. Uh, so, or sorry, the empty roster charge that they give you when you, like, don't have enough guys in the offseason. Um... But yeah, like we were like, all right, let's just. We had him at one, and then we were like, now just put him at three because that'll make it hard. Uh, I did think, like, I think Galloway was good. Like, I thought he was actually good with the Knicks. Um, 
not no, a huge. I liked him. He, he also, I don't think that was a fluky thing either. He went, he was solid in Detroit and, and New Orleans, I think, too, right? So, yeah, I just, I, I feel like he didn't. I'm almost surprised he never ended up on a more like playoff type team at some point, just because he always had that kind of like that game, right? Where it's like, all right, I'll defend. I can shoot credibly, even if I'm not amazing. Uh, not going to make stupid plays. Can kind of toggle between both guard spots. It's kind of weird he didn't like latch on somewhere for longer than he has, but I think he's doing ended up doing well. I, I believe he like does. He plays for Team USA when they have to do the uh, the qualifying yeah. stuff. And he's I think he's like the the Steph Curry of that team. So uh, good for him. He's found a little. Yeah, he had, he had a pretty solid career. Had a few good years in Detroit, and you know he got real contracts. He got real contracts. Like you know, he he didn't. He actually made some good money for himself in the league. So, um, yeah. I, look, I always liked Galloway. I, I he was fun for me, and and that's ultimately like kind of what I think is where I was trying to find the balance. Is like, yeah. I mean, we can talk about basketball and all this type of shit, and like how would these guys play together and. I do think I ended up picking up a roster that actually has pretty fucking solid spacing between God Mode, Marcus Morris, Porzingis, and Galloway. Um, but like, I just feel like all these guys were fun during their time in New York. Uh, I, Galloway, I, I liked. Shved, obviously, we have the epic uh, all time, whatever the fuck he was trying to do on that play in Detroit. <laughs> Throws it like 25 feet over the back. <laughs> Yeah, you're like, not Jared Jack, otherwise they could have had a one of those contests for. Yeah. But he was, he was <laughs> the Jack one is insane. You know what it reminds me of? Do you remember that like Michael Vick Gatorade commercial where like he throws the ball and it like it goes like over 120 yards, yeah, like yeah. way into the bleachers? That, that was like the real thing with Jared Jack. <laughs> it's just like I have no idea what happened to his depth perception in that moment. No, bro was definitely. I I don't if. If it came out that at halftime of that game he was, you know, he had a flask handy or he was he was taking some shots of the handy, I wouldn't have blamed him. You're 34 years old. You're Jared Jack. You're on a team that isn't doing much. Like, have fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but like yeah. So Jared I, I Jack just, Daniels. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just think like look, Shved was Shved played like what did he play like? I, I got to look this up because he must have played something like 25 games or something as a Nick. Um, he, first of all, the Knicks actually got him in a good trade. Yeah. Uh, they traded Prigioni. A a... <laughs> yeah, it was it was a single. It was a single. It was a good trade. They like traded Prigioni, who wanted to leave. Uh, they got. By the Shred. way, also four dollars for Pablo. I guess I guess it's the same thing with the Frank thing and the point guard suck, but that was so much. But sorry, go finish the trade. Yeah, I mean, I think Pop, but Pablo, he. So the, all right, so this was probably the one where. I would have, this is just me, I would have made Rose the $4 guy because people forget we had Rose twice. But the first time, everybody hated Rose we had him the first time. Everybody did. Um, but I think he was pretty easily the second best full-time starting point guard level dude uh, in that time period, right? Like, it's not Prigioni to me in comparison to those guys. It's not Frank, it's not Galloway, it's not fucking Jack. He was better than those guys. Um, so I would have, I would have stuck him there. But I get, you know, let's not sully his memory by having to remember his first time in New York where he went fucking a wall and 
Oh man, all kinds of just all the great. Honestly, chemistry. like he cost us a pretty solid center in Robin Lopez, and then we replaced him with Noah. Like, I, 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 like, I think that's kind of an underrated loss, right? People talk about the Noah signing bad, but Robin Lopez played really well in New York, and and you can see he's one of these guys who, you know, he flashed a little bit of a post game in New York, but even without that, he's just a guy. Who's well, he ended up he ended up posting up a lot more in like Washington when he ended up there and on other teams, but. I just remember um, his crazy hook shot that I think that I think the Knicks were the first team that started doing it, where like Phil Jackson emphasized them in the post. Maybe I'm wrong on that, but he just had his like very goofy hook shot that. that and it was only it was funny because he was a righty, but he liked to take that hook shot with his left. Yeah. Um, but he, it was it was actually like I remember at first I was like this is so stupid, <laughs> and then I was like, he's actually kind of good at this. Like I don't know, like uh. Have we discovered a new offensive centerpiece? Um, but yeah, like Rolo was really fun. And that trade sucked. I mean, I actually, I'll always say, I actually liked the trade because I thought it was a good swing at upside. Like, Robin Lopez is never going to give you the ceiling that what if right. Derek Rose, two years removed from ACL, whatever, like, if he can be Derek Rose again. I like that part of it. Rose is also an expiring contract, so like you could get out of it after the year if you wanted to, which they did. They did not bring him back. But the part they fucked up is they immediately sunk, and they actually freed up money in the deal too because they sent out Calderon. Um, and they sent they out like Justin Holiday. Right? Yeah, we got Justin Holiday back then, Jerry, which was like a nice little addition. Uh, but we did have to give up Jerry and Grant, um, which man, what a killer. Uh, Maybe we should have had Jerry and Grant on this list. Um, but yeah, like I, I like the logic of all that stuff, but then it's like, okay, yeah, now we're going to throw four years at Courtney Lee and four years at Joe Kim Noah. Like, not a great, not, not, not a great use of uh, the contract. I never hated the Lee contract, but the Noah contract was killer. So. Yeah, the Lee contract was okay. It just <laughs> when you don't have needle movers, it's like that kind of player. You're just like, well, what is the point of this guy in this team, really? Um, but yeah, like I think Rose should have been on here, but <coughs> in lieu of that, um... and a- another thing about the Lopez signing is, if you look at KP's rebounding, he averaged nearly ten rebounds a game his first year, and he was monster on the offensive glass. Part of it is his role evolved, where he was used more as as a you know he was a higher usage player, so naturally some of those putback op- opportunities and some of the rebounding stuff goes away. He was also asked to do a lot, again, especially after Lopez left, he was tasked with doing a lot more things on defense and combine that with the fact that given his frame and, and some of those things and <laughs> every young player who's athletic has a tendency to block chase. I don't even think he's that egregious in that, but we've seen that with Mitch too. Like Those things, but I think Lopez really helped stabilize that. And if you look at his career, he's always had, he's always been a very positive impact on team rebound. So. Yeah, Lopez has been <clears throat> always a Extremely effective team rebounder. Um, yeah, so look, that's kind of why I ended up with the team I had, though, because I just think all these guys were fun in New York. I mean, Galloway was was cool, and Shred obviously had his moments. Mook, we already went over. KOQ was great. Like, I, I mean, not great, but he was one. A solid got player a, in a time when the Knicks didn't have money. Yeah, and they got him on a great contract. It was like four years, $16 million. Um, I believe, and he was only twenty five, and he, he had some untapped upside. 
which yeah, and, and they they didn't give up shit to get him. They gave up a second round pick swap. It was like a re- joke. Like I remember, there were Magic fans that were like, "Why are we doing this? He's a restricted free agent. Like we actually don't. We can just match this contract or give it to him ourselves." Um, but whatever. Yeah, we got him for a second round pick swap. He was really solid. He was a good passer, and he's like, I mean, is he the last good passing big man the Knicks have had? Oh, Hartenstein. Oh, yeah, Hartenstein. Yeah, Hartenstein's the the next one. Hartenstein is, I think, to me, that is the guy I've always compared him to, actually, is O'Quinn. I think he's a little bit bigger and a better... He's bigger, so that gives him advantages as a rim protector. Um, But the offensive game is very similar. Yeah, he can hold up better against centers um, than than KOQ could because he was a little bit smaller. Uh, but yeah, like I think I, he was just really solid. He ended up like I mean, he got better in his time in New York too, which was cool. Like we hadn't had guys get better here, right? So it was like cool to see a player come. He was a hometown kid, right? He's from Queens. Yes, uh, he was a hometown kid, so it was it was cool for him to to be back home and and. He handled that well, unlike certain people who ended up eating Vaseline. Um, but like, yeah, it was just fun, and he had the, he had the thing with with McBuckets. They had a nice connection, which was always like a fun little two man game with those two. And he just, I don't know, he was like an easy dude to root for. Uh, and then you know, Kristaps obviously did not end well, but like, I mean, we'll see what he ends up being this year for Boston. Um, but what he was last year in Washington is like the finalized version of what we thought and hoped he could be right in time. Like he's actually playing center now and his rebounding has improved significantly. And now he's become not just a guy who has the, who has nights where he goes off from three, but is like a sniper. Now he's a 40% guy. And he's got a little bit of a post game, so you can't just like switch. And, and he's stronger, so you can't just have Marcus Smart, you know, try to take his legs oh, out yeah. from under him. Yeah, and and he's just become everything he was. But like, you, we got to see those glimpses, and they were fun as hell. Like, I mean, I think it's easy to forget because of how shitty it ended in New York. Like, how much fun some yeah. of those seasons, at least the start of those seasons, were. Like. The and it's also six- like the Knicks got clowned for that pick so incessantly by ESPN, right? Like Stephen A. publicly admitted, like Stephen A. had like he channeled Malcolm X for this brand. Two months later, he's literally, like, no, and li- actually- like and like also like quite literally verbatim stole a line from <laughs> from <so> Malcolm X, <laughs> which was like, um, and. Like it, it was just like just it was literally just because he was European and skinny. Um, like Stephen A. would two months later be like, "I didn't really know his game like that. I was just told he was a project." Which like, why are you here then? Um, but I think that was kind of a big fuck you that like even as a rookie when he wasn't any kind of star, but he was you know like he had that that bucket against Charlotte right that got waved off. Um, he had those putback dunks right um, at a time when the Knicks fans really needed hope. You know, I look at it as, like, how I view currently, like, how I think a lot of Knicks fans would view the relationship with KP is that you've seen Rounders, right? I have seen Rounders. Leave yes. it to me to make a poker reference after um, after Vegas, but um, he is, like, at the end of the movie when, you know, Mike McDermott has, like, this bad breakup, 
And he, like, kind of, like, is, like, on okay terms with his girlfriend, or his ex-girlfriend. Like, he's leaving for Vegas, she's doing the law school thing, and they're like, okay, like, we're good. Like, I think that's kind of where I'm at, even though, look, I think there's plenty of blame on both sides, but KP has been pretty, um, we talked about this, like, he has kind of regretted. I think he got some bad advice that happens to players, but he seems to have matured beyond it. Um, can I say I'm going to root for him in Boston? No, but that has less to do with him than, you know, the Boston part. And yeah, to your point, it's actually, it's kind of gratifying to see that the things that, you know, you know, maybe it happened a little bit later than you would have hoped, but injury stunted that. Um, I, I do think, like, besides Melo, he's clearly the best player on this list, right? Especially since, you know, this is 2019, 2020 Julius Randall, I think, right? So, clearly the best player on this list, right? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, I think you mellow right are you talking about my list i said besides mellow no no on yeah. on our list besides mellow kp's clearly the best player especially if we're just going with 2019 2020 to his right yeah i mean i know that there will be some people that would throw mitch in there like his his advanced stats from literally the day he walked into the nba i'm not just talking about like oh his win share is really good no like his impact stats from the moment he came to the nba were fucking awesome but his first two years there were so there were just too many games where you're like why are you jumping 15 feet in the air and fouling this guy? Like, Yeah, and th- that's the thing with rate stats. His impact were rate stats, which were very legitimate. But again, to your point, that's the cost, right? There's like Some players play less because they don't get the opportunity. He played less because he played himself off the floor. Yeah, and like, look, there are other dudes here too. Um, obviously, like, like J.R. Smith, I would have loved to pick J.R. Uh, I just couldn't fit. There, there was not a point or a shooting guard or sorry, a small forward that was budget enough to pick five dollar J.R. Smith. Also, like just really sad that J.R. Smith is a five dollar guy. Like I know he was really good for us in the 2012-13 season. Um was well, you're not six, trying to get the pipe. Not trying to get the pipe. Six men of the year, uh deservedly, and he was awesome now the stretch of that season. Like people really forget because of how disastrous his playoffs turned out. But he was even in the, even f- the first few games yeah. of the playoffs until that fucking Jerry Jason Terry thing. Yeah, he was awesome. He was great. And he, he, like, again, the end of that season, I remember watching it. I'm like, did he, like, did he figure it out? Did he, is, did J.R. Smith finally, like, oh, yeah, well, if I just drive a lot, I can get to the free throw line. Um, but yeah, J.R. JR would probably be somewhat close to KP. I think Tyson would be the closest, um, even though I hate his guts. And honestly, the, the thing is, we started, we're saying like from 2013 14 to 2020. Was Tyson actually better than KP was in New York in that last season he was in New York? I don't think so. He checked out. Yeah. Yeah, he was checked out. And so, like, J.R. Smith, kind of same deal where it's like, man, we're not talking about six men of the year version of J.R. Smith, though, right? We're talking about the year after and then the start of the following season. We're like, we're talking about this guy. Oh, sorry. That was supposed to be LeBron <laughs> after. <laughs> But yeah, it's it, so it's it's I don't know I I, I couldn't I couldn't go Jr. there. Uh, but yeah, I, I think you're right. Like I think KP is pretty substantially the second best guy on this list. And I think look, you can argue, make an argument that in terms of his impact in that moment, he was better uh, at times than Carmelo was in their time together in New York. Um, especially during that 2015. I mean, the 2016 17 season, Melo was pretty checked out at that point. Um, and KP was obviously like not, although I guess he tr- maybe was towards the end of the year, whatever. Uh, but like, I just thought, 
I thought KP, like, I mean, people, again, he had that sequence against Phoenix, which I still think is such a crazy play where he, like, I forgot who he blocks. There might have been Josh Jackson. Blocks him on one end. And, and then, then he, he runs the, down the court and dunks yeah. on him. That was such a, that was a, that was a, and he also, like, he got into it with Marquise Chris. I think that was something also he took to heart, right? Like, when he came to New York, he got into it with Kent Bazemore. Like, people thought he was going to be Oh, my God. The Bazemore like, thing was so ridiculous. Yeah, there was Bazemore. Then there was Marquise Chris threw him down, and he, like, got, like, I think he really took it on himself. Like, I think it helped that he was so familiar with kind of NBA culture, more so than maybe guys like Bargani or whatever who weren't that he understood, like, these are going to be the narratives around me, right? And I have to – maybe went a little bit too far into that, but, um, you know, it was um, – that was also what I remember. That yeah, Phoenix I'm game. not just a soft European. You can't tell me that I have to come to an exit interview. Fuck you. Um, That's where you go too far, right? So. But, yeah, like, I, I think people really forget how fun – I mean, the 2017-18 season, so they trade Carmelo that summer. Uh, they signed Tim Hardaway Jr. to that offer sheet. The start of that season was really fun, and I think that season I remember was... going to the Garden. He dropped like thirty-seven, eleven, and five blocks on the Lakers. For the Lakers game, yeah. yeah. And I think yeah, and Randall had a good game too. But like, it was just it was fun watching that. Frank had um, Randall and Hell in that game, though. Yeah, I think this this was also the year. Like, I remember the second <laughs> Frank had Randall. Um, the second his second year, he got bodied by Jokic when Jokic dropped forty-one on him. Um, and yes, I'm sure all of us have comments and posting and toasting saying, here's why KP still has the higher ceiling long-term. I'm pretty sure I have um, some on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, but the next year I went to a Nuggets game and he went toe for toe to toe with Jokic. Yeah. That was and a great game. Got, that was a great he game. got the better of Jokic in that game and, and the Knicks won is MSG. So Jamal, Jamal Murray went absolutely bonkers in the second half of that game. I remember that, yeah. And it was still before he was peak Murray. This was a very young age. Um, so I absolutely agree. Until, like, I think it became the kind of situation where defense is adjusted, and the Knicks using it as a focal point clearly didn't work. Well, and uh, he also, like, look, he, it was his third year in the league at that point. Like, he did not have the overall offensive skill set to even, like, to handle that over the course of an 82-game season. His body wasn't prepared for it either, right? Like, we routinely saw him in his time in New York, his three seasons in New York. He would fall off the last two, three months of the season. And, I, and honestly, by, like, January last time. He anemia, right? Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did have anemia. Um, I don't know if that's a thing that maybe he, he does have anemia. Sorry. Yeah, I, I don't know if that means he always has it, but I know he for sure did have it at that time. Um, <clears throat> and, like... So that was always there, and and to your point, you're right. Like they teams caught up to what we were doing, and look, the lack of not having a penetrating point guard who could get into the paint and create, and Tim Hardaway Jr. is your number two option. It's like there's only so far you can go, but there was a stretch at the start of that season. Like I remember they played the Pacers, and they played was it the was it the Hornets? Was Dwight Howard on the Hornets at one point? Am I imagining yeah. that? Yeah, he was. Right? Yeah. No, he was on the Hornets, and like I think we played them in back to back games. We had made these comebacks in both games and it was like you're like frank and kp closing and i was like oh my god this is the future phil jackson actually did it no that, that indiana us. that indiana game was where i was a true believer you remember that game they came back yeah, running they're like 17 amazing. down yeah, yeah, yeah and it yeah, was really it was frank running a pick and roll kp popping <laughs> but like not getting much separation frank like do something and kp hitting it it's like oh my god he's a pure point guard passer he's setting up <laughs> But I think KP had probably... Look at the way he just hits him in his shooting pocket. 
exactly, right? From like four feet away. Um, but um, after was, not looking that, at the, just like not interested at all, driving inside. There was also the Cleveland game um, with Enos, Enos, um, the hardest <laughs> formerly known as Enos Cantor fighting LeBron or getting in LeBron's face because he was mean to Frank. Yeah, that was such a stupid LeBron thing that like it was like a whole day. Do you remember he was like on the subway and he's like shooting stuff on Instagram and he's like I'm the king of New York and you're like what? Wh- why are you trying to like ra-? like I'm like dude, Phil Jackson is gone. Like you don't have to do this like thing where you're pretending that this is a rivalry because this is not a rivalry. We are not good. Um, we are not going to make the playoffs. Like give it a rest. <clears throat> um, no, and but that was the yeah. game, and then I remember that game. KP played really well for three quarters, and then LeBron reminded everyone that, oh yeah, if I actually care on defense, which I do like ten percent of the time in the fourth quarter. He yeah. locked up KP. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. He locked up. He locked him up in the fourth quarter. Wade was like, Wade was annoyingly good in the fourth quarter too. And I think like I think Corver ended up hitting like five threes or something. It was really, really There's annoying. There's always a random Cav player who goes off against the Knicks from three, except in the playoffs. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, I mean, and I think people forget like. Look, uh, Carmelo. Carmelo's last season in New York was honestly it was a joke. Like he was fucking awful that year. His defense completely fell off a cliff. I think him and Rose uh, very obviously did not get along at that time. They were not complimentary. Uh, felt like there was always a weird thing. I don't. I don't. I mean, I think he liked Porzingis. I don't think there was anything. No, I think personal. they were friendly. Yeah, 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 they were. They were fine. But I don't think he liked the kind of like, oh, this guy's taking a little bit of the limelight now, huh? People are ready for the new thing. And obviously, we know by the end of that season, like, he's pissed at the crowd because we're like, lose this game to the Wizards. Fucking stop making shots, asshole. Do you think that Uh, was a thing with Jeremy Lin, too? Because that's what was rumored, but, like, it didn't really, like, a lot of that just seemed like, I don't know. It's tough to tell a lot of times what the I'll narrative say, I think, is versus. What I, I think I think he wanted to be. Look, he came to New York to be the guy. We know that. Like that was one hundred percent part of the reason he wanted to be here. The limelight, be in a big market, get all that shit. Do I think he was like super thrilled that all of a sudden Jeremy Lin was like the hero of the moment? Probably not. But I also reject. Like to me, that probably has a lot to do with how Mike D'Antoni was like kind of trying to make that work where he's like, yeah, no, that like, so we have a point guard now. So now you stand in the corner. Like, what are you talking about? I stand in the corner. Like, no, 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 that's, that's it. We don't need you to do anything. Jeremy's got us. We're going to go win the fucking championship with Jeremy. Secretariat. Yeah. But, um, <clears throat> yeah, no, I, I, I kind of think a lot of that stuff is probably overblown, but I do think with, it's, it's not so much that it, there's any personal issue, and I doubt he even expressed much to, to KP in that sense, but like, though there was a report that he, <clears throat> he told KP to like, not say that he liked the triangle because of the whole shit with like Mello and Phil. I remember there was a huge report about that. Um, but I don't think, I, I just feel like that season, he just decided, I don't know why, I, I really don't. And maybe some of it was physical, but it certainly felt like some of it was just he was done. He And look, Phil didn't help the cause, but even before Phil had totally poisoned that well, I remember the start of that season watching some of those games, and I'm like, still want to like try. And, and what I was going to say is the reason it was so frustrating 
is the year before that 2015-16 season. Like I thought that was, I mean, Mello. So Mello gets hurt. We play Boston. I think that game made us. We beat Boston at home. I think that game made us twenty and twenty. And he's playing great. It felt like he had fi- he had a knee debridement surgery or something that off season, and it felt like in that month or whatever that he was really starting to get his get his legs back under him. And not just was he like shooting better and all that type of stuff, but his defense was like legitimately pretty solid that year. And his all around game was awesome. Like he had, it, it was the best version of Carmelo. I, I personally think, or at least the most complete version, I should say of Carmelo in New York. And then, so we're playing this game against Boston gardens going crazy. He hits a three. He's literally backpedaling. And for some fucking reason, the asshole ref is like standing there and he hurt his knee. He re-injured his knee. And, uh, you know, the Knicks basically, their season completely tanks from there on. And Melo ends up having to, like, cut his season short and all this type of shit. But, like, I, but like that season, it's people forget this, but, like, they were 22 and 22, actually, at one point. They, I think the game that was that that made us twenty two and twenty two was like this game against Utah, or maybe it was Philly, whatever it was. But it was like a pretty epic victory, in one of those matinee games at the Garden, and it was like a really fun thing. And it was like a fun team because you're like, okay, so we have Mello, we have drafted rookie KP, he's here. Galloway was still on the roster, right? Lance Thomas out of nowhere, you're like, wait, he's like shooting well this year. What's happening? Uh, like, yeah, like forty two percent from three. Yeah, with that Aaron Aflalo hadn't become super, Yeah, Aflalo hadn't become like completely annoying yet at that he point. He had that forty season. point game against uh, was it Orlando or something? Yeah, he had balled out one of those, and it was just like the team was. It kind of felt like you know, obviously KOQ and it and Rolo was there, and you're like, I'm like, damn, did did Phil like did he like thread the needle? Like, are we? Th- is this what threading the needle is? Uh, but then, yeah, then that season wants to go, it just goes to shit down the stretch, and it's like it's really frustrating. But I think people forget like the first half of that season was actually really fucking fun, and they had a lot of fun wins, and like it looked like they were going somewhere. Um, and then by like what is it like by March, Fisher's fired. Uh, we got Kurt Rambis on the sideline talking about he wants to run KP at the three and and all this type of stuff. But that was like a look. The first half of that season is. I don't want to say it, it doesn't compare, obviously, to the last. Um, look, the young talent. Well, that, I was just going to say, we're like, oh my god, we were twenty-two and twenty-two at one point. By the way, Knicks fans at home who are just completely dissatisfied and think Leon Rose needs to be fired, think about that when we're complaining about forty-seven and thirty-five. When this is the best me and Shrimp can muster up, we were twenty-two and twenty-two one season. You know, like it's uh, it's definitely so. We great were halfway back. there. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it was it was it was fun, and I look the young talent that we had then is not comparable to what we have now. Not forget the young talent, just the talent overall. The young talent. If you want to say KP is better than the young guys we have now, sure. If you want to say Melo is better than Brunson or Randall right now, sure. But the overall collection of talent does not match up at all. Um, and you know, ultimately, that kind of did them in as soon as Melo couldn't play at the level he was anymore but and and also needs to be said kp totally ran into like a fucking huge rookie year wall that year um but he did have some really awesome moments he had that game against like houston (laughs) i think he had like 24 12 and 7 blocks or something 
And it was the first game they had. They ran him at center for a bunch of the game, and you were just like, "Holy shit! Like, is this is this real? Like, is you know, like, don't what's the uh, what's the line in in Uncut Gems? It's like, why would you show me if you're not going to let me have it? <laughs> and that's Fitting so- because that's um, that is actually a guy who my most that is probably the guy I compared KP to the most, honestly. Garnett, yeah, I mean, Garnett. doesn't have the same, obviously, like fire and all that type of shit. But there are definitely there are a lot of similar. Terms of the mo- I, I probably yeah. overstated his mobility, but um, but it's certainly Celtics KG, right? He was not like obviously out of college, out of high school. KG was just a complete freak, which KP wasn't that athletic, but um, that was always kind of my goal. I I do wish we had just done more like scheduled rest days with KP because it feels like. He would wear down right over the course of a season, and then he'd always have these stupid nagging injuries towards the end that would leave him out for the last whatever, like 10, 15 games. And I felt like you could see him getting exhausted as the season went on. And I'm like, man, maybe we should. And, you know, you didn't think about the ACL and all that. I mean, the ACL thing was a complete. I don't think that had anything to do with fatigue. He just landed really Thanks, weird. Thanks, Giannis. Yeah, right. Um, he just landed really weird, and that's what it is. But, um, yeah, I mean, look, the time that he was here was actually kind of fun at times, and I think people forget that because obviously they still did a lot of fucking losing. But he did make an All Star team uh, in New York, which you know that was like pretty cool to have one other guy do it other than Mello. And it felt like every, by that point, it felt like every time Mello made it, you were just like, "You're just making it now because like we are so desperate to have some like little sliver of." national attention uh on this like all-star stage but yeah i mean kp was it was a fun thing and to your point like it just shows you that i mean look what we have been through as a fan base is pretty fucking rough this century uh but it, it should if it doesn't i don't know tell you but like it should make you appreciate what we have going for us right now and like you know, look, I I don't think they've nailed everything in the world, but you can't... Yeah, I mean, I think, I think this... Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no I, I was just going to say, like, I feel like I just see there's too much sentiment of, like, well, you know, we could have... They could have drafted this guy and this dude, and maybe we could have had this guy. And it's like, I get all that, but at some point, um, teams that are good and want to be good and want to compete now and be as close as they can be to contention guys that you draft they're not going to be playing much anyway they're not um and so it's a tough thing to manage all that and i'm not saying they've nailed everything and and you know look at what i'd like to see them when we did our like the five biggest mistakes of leon rose thing i said not moving into the 2023 draft i thought was a mistake and I, i stand by that but like i also think people like it's it's worth understanding that okay yeah you didn't move into the 2020 draft what did you get for trading away that pick? Oh, you got Josh Hart, who is good, who's going to be part of this team for a while, and who complements everybody on the team. And really, if there's one thing that Leon took advantage of that I don't think any of these other guys did, you know, Mills, Phil, Derek, or Derek Fisher. Um, who was Perry. before? Oh, yeah, Perry. Uh, well, it was Grunfeld, right? Grunfeld. Grunwald, whatever, Grunwald. Yeah, yeah, Grunwald. But like so, especially those those guys though, Phil, uh, Mills, and Perry, and and then obviously then we get Leon. But like, I was Grunfeld, sorry. <laughs> yeah, but like Phil and Mills 
both had opportunities with a fairly clean slate early in their tenures, and they did not do well with it. Um, and simultaneously, they didn't seem to have a great plan or an understanding of like, or, or a point really, good coaches, good infrastructure, get good infrastructure in place, good support staff, any of that shit. No, that was really it. interesting there too because I think well he he nailed the KP pick like in a draft where it could have gone sideways like I do wonder if 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 um Hinky Hinky was rumored to want to take KP if he does that maybe it looks different if Phil Jackson takes Okafor but I think like the draft was fine like I don't like I think the Frank pick is obviously in hindsight not as great but he wanted him for his system um but I think it was really one I think to your point he like the people that he found were not particularly well suited or sorry like he tended to i think he was loyal to people like rambus um you know i mean he made he had, rambus the highest paid assistant in the league yeah he was loyal to um i mean it's also another what if right like he had two sniper shooters who were coaching candidates the same year one was Derek fisher the other one went on to win four rings so um, you know, it's just, um, you know, what happens if Steve Kerr comes here? But but I, I definitely agree with that on Rose. Um, I think it's also just kind of a product. It's a reminder that, like, you, we just mentioned, like, that we did have some fun times, right? Um, looking back, it was a lot of depression and stuff. But like, um, you know, just like a lot of bad times. Yeah, it was, it was, depress it was depressing to be a fan. If, it were, if you were depressed in your life, hopefully um, the Knicks even, were not but, the cause of that. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a good way to rephrase that. But if you, you know, that's, but like we could enjoy 22 and 22 this year, anything less than like, that's what I, we were talking about this before. If we don't make past the second round, it's going to be tough to swallow because it's the same thing. And I've been thinking about this a lot recently because like you have to remember, like some of the most miserable fan bases are like, you know, the Patriots or like Alabama. Or if you like go back to when the Spurs were really at their peak, you know, read like pounding the rock after a loss and you just talk like people are like fire Popovich and shit, you know, like. Um, and I, I think about this both from the Knicks' perspective and from the perspective of Michigan football. When I was there, they made one bowl game. They lost. They won three games, five games, and I think five games again. Um, when I was there in a three-year stretch, they've been awful. But like this year now, it's like anything less than a championship seems to be like it would be a disappointing outcome. And I think as a fan, you have to guard against that. I'm not saying the Knicks are at that point, but they are at a point where there are expectations. And that's kind of a curse of expectations where once you get good, you cannot enjoy some of the things that we talked about enjoying. Um, real quick, I'll actually just say mine. So I did have KP. I think that's probably not a surprise from you know, how we were talking about it. I think that I don't know how big you are on this bandwagon. I was always on the bandwagon before we even before like before Randall came here, obviously, when the Knicks had KP that summer, I wanted them to keep KP and you know, like leaving aside the Durant stuff. I thought that KP and Randall was always a very intriguing combo. Um, and I, 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 I think we probably still think that. Um, and, and I think that, that would, would have been interesting if the Knicks had traded for him. Um, and so I have KP and Randall. I went with Galloway for a lot of the same reasons. Um, the downside is Galloway isn't ideally an initiator. Yeah. Uh, and I'd probably be relying on Randall for that, which both of us have talked about the danger. Beyblade. But he would have good spacing. I'm I'm banking on the fact that with what would be a five out lineup, Randall should be able to eat. Um, and KP and by by the same token, KP being able to play off Randall 
could make Randall's reads a little bit more simple. Uh, and then I filled out the roster with Dotson, you know, just at $2, get me a 3 and D guy who can do mm. his job. You know, probably not going to swing too many games, but knock down open shots, which will probably get a lot, you know, from the attention that Randall and KP are going to draw. And then I had to take a small forward. So my version of Schwed was Lance Thomas, but for all the hate that we gave Lance Thomas for looking goofy and not being a particularly good shooter, he was a guy that did the little things. And on this roster, other than a rebound, what bomb? <laughs> yeah, um, you know he, but he was in the right place. I think he could he could play around these guys. So I like that team: KP, Randall, Galloway, Dotson, and Lance. Yeah, I mean, I think the KP uh, Randall thing is always very very enticing. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, it's it's like fun to look back at this, you know, in a kind of like self, you know, fucking just you really want to just be a masochist. It's um, like looking but, at your like looking at your phases when you're like eighteen or nineteen, and the kind of music you listen to, or people you dated, or whatever. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, it's fun to look back at, but I'm also like very, very thankful for where we are now. And I think, like, honestly, stuff like this should make people really get some perspective of like how far the team has come in terms of talent, how far it's come in terms of how it's run. Like, look, say whatever you want about Tibbs. Tibbs is a way better coach than any of these guys. Like, oh, we didn't. We should have. Oh, so the two. Yeah, I, Tibbs definitely was the two. The one thing is, you left off a guy who made the game-winning block on LeBron and stared him down, and dunked on Giannis and stared him down. You I would left have absolutely you- taken Hazonia at one for one dollar. Uh, and then the other thing is, it would be cool. With, I mean, that's the other one is it would be cool with coaches too. To if you had to pick, um, you know, I mean, I think it's, it's they would all be one dollar. I guess <laughs> it's pretty easily Miller, right? Oh, if you're counting Miller, if of the like of the bad ones, I probably would go Hornacek, but it's definitely Fizdale. <laughs> Take that for data. I think um, Fizdale's uh, like easily the worst coach we've ever had. It's like it's it's so many Del Negro. He's fucking awful. That guy was four and whatever it was twenty or twenty one fucking with Marcus Morris shooting like. Steph Curry from three. Fuck him. That guy was awful. One of the worst coaches in anything, in any sport. But I got to ask about Hazonia. I got to ask about Hazonia. Why wasn't my guy on there? I mean, he wasn't actually good in New York. <laughs> he had, he blocked LeBron to win the game. And pointed, like, he, for memes alone. I mean, it was better than that. It was a good meme. Was he? I don't know. He only played, what, Hazonia was only here for a year or two. Lance was here for Felt like way too long. Lance for way too long, but he was at least here for four years, I think. Like, which is he had a whole ass God. presidential term. That's really depressing to think about. We picked him up in the middle of that dog shit tanking 2014-15 season. Um, hanging around, yeah, hanging, yeah, he's just hanging around. Uh, yeah, this is like it's again, it's fun, but let's be thankful for. Her what we get to watch now uh, instead of what we had to watch then. Uh, I think that's a good place to end it. Stacy, let the people know where they can find you. Plug anything you would like to plug. Stacy Patton 89 um, on Twitter. X, whatever you want to call it. Um, and you, I will plug, I'll plug this, check out this tweet and let us know what your team is and let us know uh, when we drop this who's, uh, whose team you think would win. Uh, I have nothing to plug. So I'm not going to plug anything. Just plug the wonderful work of the Strickland. Uh, check it all out. It is 
all going very well. Uh, look out for a new podcast that will be dropping soon, maybe even this week that we have in the works. And um, yeah, that's that is it. Uh, all right, thank you for everything. Thank you for listening. Thank you to Bet Online. Just again, your number one source for all your betting needs. That is our show for today. Hope everybody has a great week, and I will see you on Friday.